Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kid Kong at the Movies. I am once again your host, Kid Kong, and I am flying solo again this week, and I'll probably be solo throughout most of the rest of the year. Uh, we will see. I hope everybody had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Mine was pretty good, honestly. Uh, I, I woke up about a half hour ago. It is just now 7.45 in the morning, and... Little bit of background on me. Y'all know that I grew up away from the South. Like, I, I live in the Deep South right now. I was not raised in the Deep South. I was raised far North. So, I have a, a predilection to cold. Like, I really prefer it when it's colder out than it is hotter out. And as such, I, uh, I don't sleep with the heat on. <laughs> so, when I woke up this morning and got out of bed... We have two cats and a dog, and all three of them were not happy with me because it was 52 degrees inside my house. Uh, for a little bit of reference, the average refrigerator is kept between 40 and 50 degrees. So it's roughly the same as sleeping in a refrigerator, and I personally love it. Um, I don't really do that when my daughter is home because, you know, she's seven and that's <laughs> not fair to her. But anybody else in the house as an adult can deal. <laughs> so, this week... We're going to be talking about Walk the Line. Now, I rather unintentionally, with the exception of uh, Spider-Man at the beginning of the month, I accidentally did nothing but movies this month that are all based on true stories. I want to go ahead and say that this one, Walk the Line, is far more in line with a true story than any of the others, because this is a biopic about Johnny Cash, and it was portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix. He got him quite a bit of press. This is a really, really good movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoy the parody of it just a little bit more, but that's because I am more of a comedy person. But I'll get to that in a moment. Walking Lion was released in 2005. It was directed by and written to an extent by James Mangold. Now, James Mangold, he's written a couple of other things, including Oliver and Company for Disney, however, for Direction. He directed Heavy, Copland, Girl Interrupted, Kate and Leopold, the 310 to Yuma remake, Logan, which probably should have had some sort I'm not saying he should have won something for that, but for what was done in there, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart deserve some kind of attention at the Oscars in some way. And he's most recently done Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, the theatrical cut of this movie is two and a half hours long. The director's cut is about 3 hours and 13 minutes long. So, It was distributed and produced by 20th Century Fox, made on a budget of $28 million. And it pulled in $187 million at the box office. And it was based on two different autobiographies by Johnny Cash. That's always struck me as funny when someone's able to write multiple autobiographies. And I get it, because the first one they write, they feel like, okay, I've done enough in my life to warrant writing a biography. But then they continue on with their career and their life. Uh, I think probably the most egregious example of that would be the professional wrestler Chris Jericho, who has, to date, four biographies, all taking place in different parts of his life, a self-help book that has some biographical information in it, and he's currently working on a fifth. So, But this was based on two, 1975's Man in Black, his own story with his own words, and the 1997 Cash, the Autobiography. Now again, this movie is largely based on 
the first part of his life. It, it starts when he was a child. It goes through his first marriage with his first wife. And then when he meets June Carter Cash and everything that happens there. Or, well, June Carter at the time. Uh, this movie received quite a bit of critical acclaim and was considered one of the best biopics in many, many years. And it inspired a direct parody. Remember me mentioning this earlier? The parody, of course, being Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which had John C. Riley in it. I love comedy, and John C. Riley is just as capable of pulling off comedy as he is drama. That movie was just nothing but stupid funny, and um, I probably won't talk about it on the show, simply because those parody movies really don't have a whole lot of information on how they're made. But who knows, I might do a retrospective review on it at some point. Now, there was a pretty large cast in this one, but I'm going to be limiting the cast really to, you know, the Cash family and other musicians that he worked with or performed around at the same time. So, Johnny Cash was played by Joaquin Phoenix. Now, Joaquin Phoenix is the younger brother of the past River Phoenix, who was in, of course, Stand By Me. And that's how I know I'm getting old, by the way. When I was scrolling through Reddit and I saw a thread called Today, I learned that Joaquin Phoenix had an older brother who was an actor. And it just, it made me want to just go ahead and go make a stiff drink and just kind of relax for a little while. Because, yep, I'm getting up to that get off my lawn territory, apparently. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix was in Parenthood, 8mm. He got real attention when he starred in Gladiator alongside Russell Crowe. And from there, he just kind of moved on. He was in Signs. He voiced the character Kenai and Brother Bear. He was in The Village, Ladder 49, which is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I'm Still Here, which is about him himself. Inherent Vice and Joker. Look, I'm going to end up breaking my five-year rule with Joker because there is a lot to unpack with that film. You can expect that probably around February. So, June Carter was played by Reese Witherspoon. Of course, Reese Witherspoon, we talked about her when we did uh, Legally Blonde. Of course, first movie, Man of the Moon. Then she was also in Jack the Bear, Pleasantville. Uh, she was a cameo in Little Nicky. She was an American psycho, legally blonde, of course. Sweet Home Alabama, wild, and provides a voice in the movies Sing. Vivian Cash, Johnny Cash's first wife, was played by Jennifer Goodwin. Now, Jennifer Goodwin's been in a couple of movies. Mona Lisa Smile, Day Zero, He's Just Not That Into You, Ramona and Beezus. She's probably best known for uh, two different things. She played Snow White in TV's Once Upon a Time. And she voiced Judy Hopps in the Zootopia movie. Now, if you live anywhere outside of the United States, you know that it's called Zootropolis. But here or there. She was also in Big Love with Bill Paxton, one of my favorite actors, and in Ed for a long time. Ray Cash, the father of Johnny Cash, was played by Robert Patrick. Now, Robert Patrick was in Die Hard 2. Uh, he was in Wayne's World, Last Action Hero, Double Dragon, Striptease, Copland, Faculty, Spy Kids. He also was in Ladder 49 and in Bridge to Terabithia. However, he is... I, you know, I don't even have to say probably. He's best known for being in T2 Judgment Day. He played the T-1000 in the second Terminator movie. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that, so. Okay, the musicians that worked with, uh, there were his backup musicians. Sam Phillips was played by Dallas Roberts, who has been in Sisters, the 310 to Yuma remake. He was in Dallas Buyers Club, which I can't speak highly enough of that movie. But he's also in My Friend Dahmer, and I know a few people, including my best friend who I absolutely love, all things about Jeffrey Dahmer, without loving Jeffrey Dahmer himself. That would just be a little much. <laughs> but it was a good job on that. Television-wise, he was in The Good Wife for a long time. He was in The Walking Dead for a season and a half. And he's also been in Chicago PD, as well as the crossover episodes they did with Law & Order SVU. 
Luther Perkins was played by Dan John Miller. And while Dan John Miller has been in a few movies, Time Quest, Mr. Woodcock, and most notably Leatherheads, which if you tuned in last week, you heard myself and Cal talk, talk briefly about Leatherheads, he's mostly a musician. Um, Marshall Grant was played by Larry Bagby, who was in Saints and Soldiers. Uh, he was in Forever Strong, where he played a coach. Now, <clears throat> for those of you that don't know, Forever Strong is a slightly fictionalized true account of the Highland rugby team in Utah. Growing up in, in the Salt Lake City area, I heard all about the Highland rugby team as a kid. And when this movie came out, I was able to see it in theaters because they, of course, put it in theaters in Utah. It wasn't in theaters hardly anywhere else. Um, I'm not normally one for movies that have a religious undertone to them, but I was able to overlook that with this because it's a really good movie. So if you get a chance to see it, I, I highly advise it. Television, he was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and for a year he was on Young and the Restless. However, without question, you will recognize him as the character Ernie, a.k.a. Ice, in Hocus Pocus. Elvis Presley was played by Tyler Hilton. Now, Tyler Hilton is mostly a singer-songwriter. He was in One Tree Hill for a while, and he was also in Charlie Bartlett. Jerry Lee Lewis was played by Waylon Payne, who is, again, a singer. But he's been in Crazy, Road to Nowhere, and Identical. Most of these singers have contributed to soundtracks and scores and other people's music and written songs for other people as well. Uh, Waylon Jennings was played by Shooter Jennings. Yes, that's his son. Probably most spot on they were going to be able to get with that. Uh, he did play himself in an episode of CSI as well as an episode of The Punisher nearly 20 years after that. And finally, Roy Orbison was played by Jonathan Rice, who was also a musician. The young Jack Cash, Johnny's brother, was played by Lucas Till. Lucas Till was most recently in a MacGyver reboot for years. However, he played Havoc in the X-Men First Class movies as well as being in the music video for Taylor Swift's You Belong With Me. This movie's development actually began all the way back in 1993. you got to remember that Johnny Cash passed away in 2002, so he, uh, for him to be involved in this at all, it started quite a while ago. In a 1993 episode of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, Cash actually guest starred as well. Um, him and his wife befriended Jane Seymour. Her ex-husband was writer-director James Keach. Johnny Cash quickly took a liking to Keach, and after visiting with him several times, he asked him in the mid-90s, around 1994, 1995, to make a film about his life. They began a series of interviews as well as reading his autobiographies, and they wrote their first screenplay in 1997. However, by 1999, there was still no studio interest in it. None. So, at this point, Keach finally had to cave. And I say that because James Mangold, who ended up directing, had been hounding him for the previous three years. Hounding him to let him get involved in this because he was a big Johnny Cash fan. Finally agreed to let him do it. James, and uh, when Mangold came on, him and, to a lesser extent, Keach worked on the script and developed it and retooled it. And in 2001, they... Specifically did so to pitch it to Sony. Sony turned it down. However, 20th Century Fox saw this and wanted to read it. And at that point, they were hooked on it. And they're like, yeah, you know what? Let's go ahead and do that. The majority of the casting was done by standard, simple audition practices. Uh, the only one that had any kind of 
like, no, this is the guy who has to do it, was Joaquin Phoenix. Johnny Cash was a big fan of the movie Gladiator and specifically found himself drawn to Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal in that. Six months prior to the film beginning, like the beginning to be written and casted and everything, he uh, he asked to meet him. He's like, oh, can, I, can we have dinner? And Joaquin Phoenix was, like any of us, slightly uncomfortable with the idea of being asked to dinner by a complete stranger. But, you know, this is Johnny Cash. So he went ahead and... In the course of meeting with him and eating with him and talking with him, Johnny Cash personally vouched for Joaquin Phoenix's casting to Mangold to get him cast. Real quick, I want to make a minor correction. I'm sorry, I misread my own handwriting. Johnny Cash passed away in 2003, not 2002. Uh, I enjoy his music more than I enjoy Elvis's music. I'm not going to say I'm a Johnny Cash super fan. If any of you listening are super fans of Johnny Cash and have been screaming at me the past six minutes, I apologize. He was he passed in 2003. Now, Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon sang all of their songs and learned their own instruments in order to do this movie. There have been multiple people who saw this movie, who knew Johnny Cash in life, They upon finishing the movie out and seeing that it was made very clear in the credits that Joaquin Phoenix had done the singing, were astounded because of how good of a job he had done. Uh, Reese Witherspoon studied old footage of the two performing together, as well as June Carter performing by herself. Because, for those of you who do not know, June Carter was from a musical family. So it was, it was not like, oh, she just was discovered by Johnny Cash and made to sing. No, no, she was from a musical family, and that's... That's pretty cool. So in order to make sure that she had it down pat, she wanted to... She she really studied how the woman would hold herself, if she would move her shoulders a certain way, the way she would sing. Like, she did everything she could to do very well. And she did a very good job. Reese Witherspoon, while not a knock em dead singer, is a she's a very capable singer. So she was able to do this role very, very well. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, on the other hand... Initially, during all the practice and all the training, sang in a higher key. By the time the filming rolled around, he lowered himself to match Johnny Cash. This was only slightly problematic because his backup band that had been performing behind him to give him like some music to perform off of had to relearn all the songs in the lower key. And it's only slightly problematic because I, while I don't play guitar or anything like that, I did play trom uh, trumpet in high school and in middle school. And if you know something in a higher pitch, it's not the most difficult thing in the world to lower it, but it, it can be a little problematic when you are used to doing it in that higher pitch. So um, There's not a whole lot of notes about when it was filmed. Uh, according to what I could find, and I, and I searched quite a few places, it was filmed between July and October of 2003. June passed away a couple of months before the movie began production, while Johnny passed away a couple of months into production. So neither of them got to actually see the finished product. Uh, it was filmed in and around Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi. It was released November 18th of 2005. It pulled in $23 million on its opening weekend. That's a very impressive number, and honestly, it probably would have pulled in more, but for one simple fact. It unfortunately came out 
the same weekend as Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. That the Harry Potter movies were juggernauts at the box office for quite a while. So to drop a movie alongside them, it's you're 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 asking to get out to get out outscored. It, it's just it's going to happen. It's unfortunate, but it is the truth. And I say it's unfortunate as someone who is a fan of those books because after the second movie, they went pretty damn far from source material at times, and it really annoyed me. And uh, one day I will actually talk about all eight of the Harry Potter movies when there should have been just seven. So. Or better yet, a TV series. But I'll get to that at one point, I promise you. It pulled in $119 million throughout the U.S. and $66.9 million throughout the rest of the world for a grand total of $186.4 million. Now, given that its budget was $28 million, that's about 600% return on that. So that's, that's extremely impressive. And it actually became the highest-grossing musical biopic until Straight Outta Compton came out, which I'll be talking about Straight Outta Compton the second week of February because that's when it came out in theaters. And finally, enough time has passed that I can talk about that movie. It received critical and audience acclaim. Um, many friends and colleagues of Cash and his wife loved it. Chris Christopherson specifically tracked down Mangold and Joaquin Phoenix after the premiere to tell them Johnny would have been proud of what you guys did on screen. And Chris Christopherson, for those of you who only know him as Whistler in the Blade movies, or in the first remake of A Star is Born, yes, that is the first remake. Him and Barbara Streisand made that movie. Uh, the first movie in that series was actually made in the 50s, which one day, oh, I cannot wait to talk about A Star is Born one day. I might talk about all three movies. Um... There was some select criticism here and there of Joaquin Phoenix feeling like when he was performing, like he, he was great. He was, he, he was the embodiment of Johnny Cash. However, they felt that when he was standing around or when he was just delivering talking lines or anything, they felt that he was more or less his same slightly jerky, slight, and I don't mean jerky like, oh, you're a jerk. No, like movement-wise, uncomfortable, awkward at times, like, a lot of people who are labeled acting geniuses have those traits about them. He's no different. That's what they felt on that. Now, that being said, there was one very vocal critic for the movie, and that was Roseanne Cash, Johnny's daughter. She felt that the movie did not focus enough on the latter 20 years of his life and seemed to only focus on the three most traumatic things of her childhood. Her parents' divorce, her father's addiction to drugs, and this is where I get critical of her critique. A third thing that she cannot remember at this time. Look, I understand looking through Hollywood at different actors and actresses who come from famous families defending their their fathers. I get that. I understand that. You you know, that's the man or that's the mother or whoever the case may be. That's someone you've been attached to your entire life. So you're defensive of them. I completely get it. Probably the most egregious, not egregious, I'm sorry. It's, it's early, folks. The biggest example of this is probably Shannon Lee, daughter of Bruce Lee. I get that that's her father, but the woman tries to be a gatekeeper for all things Bruce Lee. And, and I'm sorry to say... The man has been so prevalent in the world of pop culture that if it's fiction, focus on the fact about your father and let people do have fun. 
She was very, very critical of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because of the way they portrayed Bruce Lee, while completely ignoring the fact that Bruce Lee had to be portrayed that way because they were trying to set up Brad Pitt's character as this badass former mercenary that was a bodyguard and stunt double. Like, they had to portray him that way to get this point across. It's called creative license. And having seen this movie and having read books about Johnny Cash, I did not see a whole lot of creative license being taken with this. I, the, the only problem that I borderline had with the movie and that others have echoed, but my problem is a little less severe than theirs because they're honestly slightly mistaken and they're mistaken because of old reports. Johnny Cash's first wife, not June, but his first wife, Vivian. Um, when Cash got arrested, when they were married, the newspapers ran a picture of him and her. A KKK newsletter ran that same picture and darkened it because Vivian was Sicilian Italian heritage. She might have had African ancestry in her somewhere. Quite a few people in the Sicilian regions do. But she has never identified as black or of African heritage, ever. She was raised Italian and identifies Italian and does look Italian. She looks Sicilian. I have a lot of them in my family, okay? <laughs> I, I know what they look like. And because the KKK ran this and darkened it and christened him a you-know-what lover, for a long time, the, the it is been prevalent throughout media that Johnny Cash's first wife was black. And again, I can't state with 100% certainty that she has no African heritage. Many, many people in Sicily do have African heritage. Hell, 23andMe, anybody that takes it, it's going to show that they have like 0.02% from somewhere like Senegal, Congo, any, anything like that. It's going to pop up because that is the cradle of civilization. That's where we all have come from. But a lot of people were very critical of this movie because they felt like, oh, you whitewashed Johnny Cash's first wife. I mean, they didn't pick a Sicilian actress to play her, but this is not like choosing Tilda Swinton to play the Ancient One in Doctor Strange. This is not like when they did the Harry Potter films where the character of Lavender Brown in the books has always been They've never gone out and stated what her race is in any way, shape, or form. But in the sixth book, when she becomes in a relationship with Ron, who is pale with freckles and red hair, J.K. Rowling describes them as making out, and it was impossible to tell whose hands were whose. That probably means she's white. What's standard practice in Hollywood when you fill a screen with extras, especially extras that are in a school setting... If it has a book where there are name sources, they'll just attach a name to a source. In the second movie and in the third movie, two different actresses portrayed Lavender Brown, and they were black. Starting with the fifth movie, when she began being Seymour, and then the sixth, when she had a much more prominent role, it was an oversight. That's not whitewashing. Whitewashing, again, is like Tilda Swinton being the ancient one. This is not whitewashing either with Johnny Cash's wife, his first wife. You know, it's, it's a very simple thing to do a quick history. Don't trust anything, everything you see online where you'll see something there. Oh, 
well, I read this that says that her, her mother was black. Or I, I read this and says his father was Hispanic. It's Appearances can always be deceiving. Take what you see on the internet with a grain of salt. And do your own research at times. Because, again, this is just... It's not... It's, it's a non-issue that got turned into an issue. And it seems to only have become an issue in the last five years. That being said, I'm sorry to have gone off on that little tangent. Let's continue on. Uh... I can't even list off all the different awards this film was nominated for from BAFTA, Golden Globes, Saturn Awards, uh, the Oscars. Um, it did win the Golden Globe for Best Feature, as well as both Walking Phoenix and Witherspoon winning Golden Globes for Best Actor and Best Actress. Reese Witherspoon did win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. So. You guys, I hate to say that that's about all I got on this, but it is all about about all I got. Um, there's just, there's unfortunately not a whole lot of information about the movie. And that's probably because there's so many biographies out about the man. I absolutely implore you, if you are interested in learning any more about Johnny Cash, he's got three different books out about him. Two were autobiographies and one was by a third source. They are fantastic reads. They'll give you a great look at his life. Um, a couple of trivia things. The scene in Folsom Prison, they did not do that in a prison. They did that on a stage to resemble a prison, and those were not real prisoners. However, Joaquin Phoenix is a nut job at times, and he decided, you know, hey, don't let the cast and crew eat anything all day. Let them, let them get a little tense. It worked. Did a good job. Also, the scene where uh, Johnny rips the sink off the wall and throws it uh, was improvised by Joaquin Phoenix. He ripped it off and threw it. Uh... Again, he's a madman, and one day I'll talk about Joker. I I love the movie. It's it's not my favorite biopic. It's not even my favorite musical biopic. Like I said, if I had to pick one of those, it would probably be the fictional Walk Hard, or it would be Straight Outta Compton. Um, as far as pure biopics go, there, there's too many for me to pick from. Uh, like I said, I really enjoy the movie. I, I hope you guys enjoy it too. I'm sorry that I went on a couple of minor rants with this one. It's just in researching this, those were several things that I continuously came across. And it was a little irritating to me after a while. It got kind of grating. In addition to that, just yesterday, I got to be a guest on Kaiju Carnage for the very first time. And I was so excited to be there. We were talking about the rebirth of Mothra. Mothra is my favorite Kaiju by far. Um, and... There are a lot of people that speak very poorly of Mothra because they don't like the fact that Mothra has defeated Godzilla on occasion. If you don't believe me, go watch an old Toho movie. It has happened. Um, so while looking at a couple of different things about that to help contribute in conversation, as well as what I already knew, I came across multiple people making really disparaging comments about this. So between the two things and the stress of the holidays, I unfortunately was a little bit more irritable today than I would have liked to have been. Um, I hope it didn't really impact the majority of the episode. Like I said, there's certain things, of course, that I went a little meh on. But that being said, this was Walk, uh, walk the Line, rather. Starting next week, throughout December, I am doing the Very Merry Bluthmas. I have been planning this since, like, April or May. I am really looking forward to this. Don Bluth is a fantastic fantastic animated director 
and I will put the best of his movies up right against the best of Walt Disney. The man worked for Disney for a little while, which I'm going to touch on that a little bit here and there throughout the month. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and announce what episodes I am doing for Bluthmas as well. Starting next week, the first episode of Bluthmas will be on Titan AE, which is an almost forgotten about, not really talked about Don Bluth movie, and it came, because it came towards the end of Blue Studios. I'm really looking forward to that. The second week will be on my personal favorite Don Bluth film, Rockadoodle. I love that movie. I have loved that movie since I was a kid. You know, it, it's really not a coincidence when I look back on it. I think the fact that I like Johnny Cash, I like Glenn Campbell, and I like Elvis Presley music, considering I saw Rockadoodle around the same time I discovered the California Raisins. So, but yeah, second week will be Rockadoodle. The third week will be The Secret of Nim. And I really want to talk about that movie because I was a big fan of the original Newbery Award winning book. And they did make some differences in that movie. But I, that's one of the few times that I don't have a problem with the differences because it made a good movie. I'm not going to say it made a better movie than what we would have had, but it made a good movie with it. So I'm perfectly fine with that. And I will end Bluthmas around Christmas by talking about Anastasia. For all four of those episodes, there is a possibility that I will have a guest at times. I might, Cal might rejoin me again for Rockadoodle or for Secret of Nim. Not sure. Um, for those of you who are wondering why I'm not talking about the big ones for Don Blute, the big ones being Land Before Time or All Dogs Go to Heaven, I feel like Land Before Time has probably been talked about enough, and I want to do. All Dogs Go to Heaven on its own because while I am, of course, going to give what production notes and everything that I can find about the films throughout Bluthmas, really it's going to be a celebration and talking about these movies. So there's a lot more that went into All Dogs Go to Heaven and I'm really looking forward to talking about that. So I want to do that one by itself. But again, Bluthmas, Titan AE, Rockadoodle, Secret of Nim, and Ending Things with Anastasia. And then starting in January, back with regular episodes, the first week of January, I will be crossing the line. I'll be doing an episode on a movie that I swore never to watch. Ian will join me on that because we are going to do an episode and I'm going to watch Dragon Ball Evolution. As someone who has Dragon Ball tattoos, this movie hurts me to think about it existing. And I'm going to put myself through it. That being said, I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And I hope you guys are as excited about Bluthmas as I am. I am Kid Kong, and I will see you at the movies.